Richard, we obviously had an interview last year, which was our most downloaded interview we've ever had of a player. So very, very popular. So I'm going to try and I listened back to it yesterday and try to avoid sort of asking yeah. you the same questions again. So I'm going to start off by looking at you, you growing up playing football. You, you're a massive Sunderland fan, which I didn't realise this until after we'd, we'd had the interview. Talk yeah. to me about you, you growing up supporting Sunderland. So I, I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Keith can edit them out. He, he loves editing. Um, don't want to start it on a, on a negative. I lost my dad at six, who was a Newcastle season ticket holder. So he'd be turning his grave now. God love him. Um, and my auntie and uncle ended up bringing me up because my mum was on her own. And my uncle is a massive Sunderland fan. Um, the reason being, if I said I was going to town, you'd be going Newcastle because it's six mile, but Sunderland's 17 mile, but some people in Gateshead wouldn't cross the water to watch Newcastle. So it's an old tale of, you know, so I ended up supporting Sunderland. And again, you think York are bad, dear me. Try and support them. Christ almighty, terrible at the minute. But it's what you do, isn't it? It's what you do. And, and who was your sort of hero growing up then? Watching someone, Kevin Phillips, and when it was Phillips and Quinn, the old big and small that um, you don't get anymore, do you? Because it's all four three three and four two five one. But I still believe the old four four two is the best. And I was looking, and I, I never normally do this for the podcast, but I did look at Wikipedia, and it said that you went on trial for Bolton. You yeah. played in some sort of foreign tournament, and yeah. you played at centre half. Is that yeah, is that true? Yeah, it did. Um, it was under Sam Allardyce and Jimmy Phillips, and we went to I think it was Poland if it right. strikes me right. And I played as a left-sided centre-half, done really well, and um, we played two games out there, and they invited me back to play a game against Celtic. Um, I actually, I was in sixth form at the time at school, and I actually missed four exams for it, but I just thought, fuck it, I'm going, it's one of them chances, and <laughs> you just go. Um, they weren't happy when I failed my exams, like. But I come back and played against Celtic, done, done really well again, and then again, you get pulled into an office, but you're not in an office with anybody you've got Sam Allardyce and Jimmy Phillips and they said would like to sign your son but you do too many things a centre forward does playing centre half and I said well that's because I'm a centre forward and he went I'm sorry we can't offer you nothing and that was the end of that so did he play in defence just because he's a defensive manager and thought I'll play a back 10 here or what, what I just think he thought height left foot I was quick at the time and he thought we'll give it a go but I actually thought I did okay I actually played there yesterday but I actually thought I did okay but Obviously, he didn't. <laughs> and um, Newcastle Benfield, when you when you played York City, that was the first time you kind of came into um, yeah. kind of notice for York City fans. Was that a normal day for you? Kind of waking up, were, were you sort of knowing that York City were a big club at that level? What what were your thoughts going into I, that game? I knew they were a big club because um, in the northeast you've got the Sunday Sun, and it used to have Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and they'd always have a little bit about York as well because they kind of half the time snuck into that northeast category, but. I think at that age, I think I was just fearless. I just thought, you know what, it's a game of football. And I just used to go out and think, you're playing against your mates. You know, at the time, I think it was, I think Luke Foster played at at the back and Jason Goodliffe, I think it was. Um, And I just thought, you know what, it's a game of football. Go and do what you've got to do. And I never ever for one minute thought anything would happen because all my friends at the time are saying, oh, you'll never make it. You're too old now. You're 19. You'll never... And it just shows that there's always someone out there who, who will take a chance. And thankfully, Billy did. And Billy sort of asked Paul Baker, who was also ex York City, he, he sort of inquired about you straight after the game, didn't he? Yeah, they inquired straight away. But we were in the FA Vars at the time. Um, and I think the when was the FA Cup tie? Was it the October-ish? Something like that. October, yeah. Yeah, because it was a qualifying round, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we'd, we got so far in the FA Vars and we ended up 
going to the quarter final, I think, against Truro. And by the way, that is a trek from Newcastle on the post. Truro to uh, Newcastle to Truro and back again. But we got to the quarter final, so the agreement was that I, I played for Benfield until then, and then Billy would take it. And what happened was, <laughs> we went there. We got beat two nil. Went out on New Key as you do. Uh, Sunday morning gets up, and the bus was leaving at ten from Truro to get back to Newcastle. So being a northeast lad and being on a football trip, we'll go the off licence. And they wouldn't serve any beer because it was too early. It was half nine. So we're thinking, what we're going to do here? So we actually waited until 10 o'clock, got on the beer, got home, and I got to Jesmond, so you're talking a mile away. And we'd been, you know, drinking heavily for quite some time. And Biggs comes up and said, um, just to let you know, you're signing for York tomorrow. I thought, okay, now. And then all of a sudden sobered up and, and we, I went down the next day. Uh, Biggs come with me and, and we got something agreed and, that was it. That was it. And that that runs quite nice into the next question because how do you negotiate a contract when you're kind of playing for Newcastle, Benfield, you're going to York City? C- can you kind of go in and say, I want this, this and this? Or Because you're 19, you probably don't yeah. really know what you're asking for. And I imagine some players would get kind of undersold, wouldn't they, a little bit? What, was that why Paul Baker was there? Bakes come with me and said, I, you know, I'll help you. And, and I got him a drink for it. Um, at Benfield at the time, I was working. I was 19. And I used to get 85 quid in a, in a, in a packet after the game. And as a 19-year-old kid, you're getting your wages from work and you get an envelope. You think, great, this. Um, and I come to York. I'll genuinely tell you, I come to York and, and we were sat in the in Billy's office and we sat there and we agreed a deal and it was it was £300 a week, uh, £25 appearance and £25 a goal. So I thought, well, that's all right, that. You know, I, I, well, Especially I w- when he's got an alternate on the on the Well, I, I would have I took probably whatever, to be honest, but at the time I'm thinking, well, that's all right. So... You're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, 25, 25. I thought, that'll be okay. So I took it and then, you know, I, it was the chance to progress and, and, and worst case scenario, it didn't work out. You go back to Benfield, best case, you know, you get a little bit more. And I believe not just in football and life, you, you get you earn your money. You don't just get given it on a plate. You've got to go and earn your money. And and what's the difference like between sort of, because you're in a predominantly part-time league nowadays. What What is the difference between part-time and football? You know, did, did it, have a big adjustment on your body was it yeah. what was it like in terms yeah. of like settling in i think i think it was more tiredness than anything else you know getting up people think oh you got training for a couple hours you know you were traveling from newcastle then you were training then you and all right you were a young fit lad and i was but it was afternoon and you're having a little kip and it, it genuinely took its toll because all of a sudden you're training two nights a week and playing on a saturday you're training four four days a week and the game on top of that it, it does take its toll but it was easy to adjust at that age. I found it more difficult when I got to 28, 29. I found it very, very difficult because up until then, I could have ate and drank what I wanted. All of a sudden at 28, everything you eat sort of going on. I had to be really careful. You, you sort of, you know, you started off like a house on fire at York City. Then you had sort of dropped off a little bit and then you were starting to get a little bit of stick. I mean, I think the Droylsden game where we won 4-3 was a bit of a turning point. And uh, a guy on, on Twitter, Bobinson Crusoe, I don't think that's his real name, um, said, has he ever felt as good good scoring the winner in the, in a normal game as he did in that 4-3 one? And um, was it an out of... I can't even read my own hand right now, sorry. Was it as much of an out-of-body experience for him as it was for us fans that were in the away end? It was. It was, it was surreal, to be honest, because I don't think I was Colin Walker's cup of tea. Uh, again... I'll move on to that later. I don't think I was his cup of tea at all. But to be in that position, he's just he just thought, well, we're going to get beat, so we'll give him a go. But I, I remember coming out the ground and people are people are hugging you, and and it was like wow. And then I went back to the northeast, and it, the lads had been watching it on the 
on the Gillette Soccer Saturday and my name had come up and all of a sudden I'm thinking, I'm doing I'm doing okay here. And and it was it was touching really to, to see that. But coming out the ground, I remember the fans that didn't leave for ages. Yeah. I mean your your come was that incredible away support. I mean, there must have been plenty of times you, you felt really good in the uh, 9 10 season. I mean, 37 goals, because I'm going to include the Chester hat trick. Um, so you I, should. Yeah. Um, I mean, confidence. What what was that season like? What, what what's your kind of, Was it just everything you hit went in? Because I imagine at certain points when you're getting all those goals, other clubs must then start thinking, right, we've got to man-mark this guy. We've got to put, you put two men on him. We've got to pay more attention. We've got to kick him or whatever. Did you notice that as the season went through? And did it make a difference? Not really. It, it didn't make any difference. And do you know what? You can talk about how people are managed and you can talk about filling people with loads of information. I, I, I very rarely spoke to Foyle. He, he didn't say anything to me. It was just a case. I, I just felt. And, and do you know what? I genuinely felt it that, that my second spell. It's a strange situation where on that ground with that shirt on, with that shirt that you got on there, um, <laughs> with that shirt on, I just felt that I just, and I said it in the podcast, anything was possible. It was coming off my head. It was coming off my right foot. And I think there was a couple against Kidderminster. I think one hit me in the face. I think there was one in Mansfield. Remember, Nelly got called off because of the snow. I think that hit me on the chest. From, and it was it was a feeling that I've never had at, at any other football club in any part of my career. That that pitch with that shirt on, even away games, because you had the shirt on, it was just it was so strange. But I, I just genuinely... And I knew that... If I tried something, that volley that went, luckily went in the top corner. If I tried that and it went, you know, down by the Burton Stone, then Foyley wouldn't have said nothing. He would have just let me get on with it. And that was that was so good. But we had such a, such a good dressing room. And that was credit to him. And, and just a slight note, on, a side note on that. You, you went to Boone Crescent earlier on today, didn't you? Do you want to just tell people about that? No, I, um, I, I booked a steal overnight and uh, booked a, the Viking on Bootham. And it, pulling up again, memories and... Like you talked about it before, about the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. And, and I went for a wander around and genuinely so sad that a football ground, the, the club shop's boarded up, the upstairs is boarded up, the shutters are down. And then I went into the bedroom and it was that hot, I opened the window and I could see from the me bed, me hotel window, I could see the long hair stand and all the stuff that had been ripped down and really, really sad. But... I always try and look at the positives in anything, and I think I've had so many good memories, and I, I know that you lot have as well, and, and it, it, you try and cherish them rather than look at the negatives. And let's talk about some of those individual games from that season. I mean, the crew won uh, the FA Cup game, which I think any York fans that were there that day, it was, it was an incredible game, and you know they were in the Football League, and I think they might have taken York City a little bit lightly, and once they went 2-1 mm. up, probably took their foot off the gas. Um, again, you scored two great goals in that game, the header, um, which you didn't get that many headers, but that was a yeah. the way you sort of bent your neck and, and got it in the top corner. And then obviously that, that second goal. Just talk, talk us through your the, thoughts on those two goals. The story behind that game was, if that had been 2-2 and hadn't scored the winner or we hadn't scored the winner, then I wasn't allowed to go away with England because the replay would have been... I was going to Poland, I think, or Bosnia with England. Like Poland, don't you? Poland. <laughs> yeah, like Poland, yeah. Um, it, again, it, it's a... It, I always talk about it and I talk about it now. You can have players with as much ability as you want. And we did have good players, don't get me wrong, but we had a, a collective togetherness in the dressing room. And that was the manager, the assistant, the kit man. That was everybody, the players. And we were so organised. Again, 4-4-2, we played that season, all season. We were so organised and we, we, we had a belief about us. Um, and, 
you know, we went one down and we've equalised and we never gave up. And that season, the downside of that season was the, the playoff final because all through the rest of the season, I thought we were absolutely terrific. We beat all them top teams. It's the bottom teams we struggle against that year. But the crew game was fantastic and I've had some very good memories in the FA Cup itself, but that does stick out as, as my main one. And, and with that game... Did once you score like a double against like a, a football league opposition and, and the second goal that you did was, was incredible solo effort, do you then find that more people are starting to look at you? How, how do you know that, that scouts are in the ground and stuff like that? Um, again, I, what was I, 22, 23? And I was still at that stage where I just wanted to play football and probably later on when I talk, it, it, I'll explain about the move that eventually happened that... I just wanted to play football. One, I wanted to play for this football club. And two, I wanted to play for, for the manager because he, he gave me an opportunity as well. Martin Foyle, I'm talking about. Absolute top draw, gave me an opportunity. And because of how I was treated as a person, I give that back to him. He, he was a good coach, but he got to know people as 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 what they are. You know, you got to know about the family, the wife, the kids, the parents. I think that's massive for me. And I think that's why we we were so was so good and you keep in touch with Martin now yeah yeah all the time all the time he's great and helps me along the way he's helped me with personal stuff he's helped us with football stuff and just generally chatting he just he phones me when he's in the car because he he just likes to chat and then let's talk about the Stoke game as well obviously in the third round it was a bizarre day wasn't it because so many York fans were kind of stuck getting to the ground and so obviously you were as a a team what what was that like at what point did you realise that Jesus, we're not going to get here in time for kickoff, and how much? Because I think the club officially was sort of saying, "Oh yeah, there's no problems and stuff like that." But I think everyone it was sort of tweeting in or texting in at the time was sort of saying, "Well, I've just passed the York City coach; it's at a standstill." What, how do you react as players to that? As well, what could we do? And again, as frustrating as it is, it's one of them things in football that was completely out of our control. We couldn't do anything about it. There was people stressing. There was people, oh fucking hell! But there was generally nothing we could do about it we got there we had to warm up in shin pads we had to warm up and it was literally a case of warm up and play I, they wouldn't even I think they delayed a 15 minutes did they if anything yeah I think I think quite an hour but I think Michael Ingham called it a microwave warm up he said you were literally oh, just ping and that was it you were out there it, it um, but no it was in, and then to go up against a team like that they were, oh my god they were horrible weren't they all six foot horrible they were I remember um, Robert Hoof stood on my toe and Dean Whitehead come over and said, you're right, mate. I said, fucking hell. And he just, Robert Hoof looked at me as if to say, fucking get up, you know what I mean? But uh, horrible. And another story about that game, actually. Steve Watson texted me on the way. Um, and he said, bro, do you, do you want a shirt? I said, yeah, if that's okay. And he said, I'll, I'll get James Beatty's shirt for you. Because he, he, he Everton with him and uh, I think they were working in some kind of agency thing or some business mm. together I said that would be great mate yeah thanks anyway game finished BT had been dragged off and it was that week that he argued with Pulis over the Christmas too and they had a massive fallout so it went through and I thought oh, everyone's swapping shirts I'm thinking oh, he's gone what am I going to do and he, as you walk down the tunnel it's a left so the home one's there and ours is right the way one's down there and he was stood um, at the door with his with his shirt in the pocket and he said there you go big fella I've heard some good things and I just thought you know what footballers get a lot of stick and a lot of a lot of grief for the for the negatives that come but I thought what a lovely touch yeah 
a lot better than Robert Hoof's touch yeah. on your on your toe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Luton Town game is is one that I think is synonymous with York City fans as kind of your best moment. I would say that that home game. You know, I think Jeff Miller said he touched the ball five times all that night. That was the next day, yeah, Jeff. But, uh, trying to be clever, But Jeff the one was. touch he did get was obviously the winning goal. And, and we were just sort of look, watching that back work before and you said that you only realised it was in when the, the toilet paper toilet moved in the, yeah. in the goal because there's that much of it. So, again, what what was that like bearing down on goal? Were I, you... I, no, again beforehand the kickoff was delayed again because them Luton fans causing trouble again weren't they and the kickoff was delayed and again you prepare yourself for a game and you think you're ready to go and then you've warmed up you've got to go back in to sit down and come back out again but yeah bearing down our goal and Ingi's free kick I don't even think it was a foul Levi Macken slipped didn't he it's never mm. a foul in a million years and Ingi and Blackett the centre half he'd, he'd just seen him misjudging it I thought I've got a chance here and then you know the rest you can see it's a good finish, but it's an instinct finish, and the toilet roll went. And <laughs> oh, honestly, the the feeling behind it, and then <laughs> coming the next day, and Jeff trying to be clever, he went, "Bro, get in here," and he's got the York press. He said, "Look, look, Kevin Gallen, proper centre forward. Him, look, touched it fifty times, kept it forty nine times, held it up, had so many shots on goal." I said, "Jeff, it says one nil Brody in the fucking top corner." <laughs> Anyway, that was the end of that. But I'd never forget that, Jeff, trying to hear. Obviously, the away leg, I've got a question here from Mr. David McGurk. I don't know if you've heard <laughs> of him. It says, ask him about the riots at Luton, because if he wasn't playing, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I think tongue-in-cheek, Richard, but... <laughs> well, I'll phone him <laughs> after this, but... Oh, listen. They give you stick, and I don't I don't understand what how they want you to react. I mean... That day, I, I don't think you'll ever see that again in the modern day of, of football, of, of the, the people coming on the pitch. And it was horrible. It was genuinely, genuinely frightening. Um, I actually had to go back. I thought I was going getting called in for a new contract, which I was genuinely in the middle of talking about. And I had to go back into the ground about two weeks later with Jason and Voiley. And the police wanted to speak to us about it. Uh, Richard Money had tried to blame me for it. Um, again... <laughs> You know, we beat them fair and square, and I, I genuinely think that they thought that they were just going to turn up, and it was a case of we've won. But at the end of that game, to see all those, and I don't know, many of you were there, but behind that goal, you know, the way you were jumping, the way you were singing, and how did what did they want us to do? Not celebrate, uh, you know. And it was great, and team. Listen, he's only saying that because that I don't know if you ever. The York Press, and you can say what you want about Dave Flep. It's the first ever 10 out of 10 I've ever seen in the paper, and that was Dave McGurk. And I've never seen him give anyone a 10, ever. Uh, I remember looking at the clock, and I talk to players now about having a clock in the top, and there was a clock, and it said, there was 10 minutes left at Luton. That was above where the away fans were. And I kept looking at this clock, and I looked again, I looked again, and it was still on 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, it was the longest 10 minutes of my any game I've ever played. And I'm thinking, please hang on. And luckily we did. And, of course, the final against Oxford, when I interviewed Martin Foyle, he said that um, the big reveal, really, from that interview was that he said someone leaked the team lineup, and they'd leaked it in the um, earlier on in the season when we played him in the league, and then they leaked it again in the final, and he was really obviously upset about this and everything, but he wouldn't tell me who that was. Now, you said you were going to be honest about absolutely everything, so who leaked the lineup, Richard? We can get Keith to edit it out. He loves editing swear words, people's names. It, I... <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't Foyley, I'd, I'd the room there was three lads got suspended from training. Okay, we'll leave it at that. I've, I've put you on the spot. But but the game itself, what 
what I mean, we were just talking before I worked with it. The Luton games, York was so resolute, and like you said, we said everyone knew their jobs and and kind of you know they were galvanised in the face of adversity. You know, Luton away, you know, Ty like you said made that fantastic tackle as well. And then obviously Oxford, it was so uncharacteristic, wasn't it? We were two 0 down within twenty minutes. What what was going through your head? Going back to before that, you know that season, I just thought I don't even think I had a shot. I think Ranks had one later on, and, I, and it fell to his left foot, and I thought, I wish that was me. No disrespect to Ranks, he's just not left footed. That's all. Um, but I remember Ingy. We we had a laugh with Ingy about it because all that season, and Daniel said before, he said he wouldn't change it. I'm not blaming Ingy by the way for one bit, but. They used to say, take that bungee rope off you, because he never used to come off his line. And then 20 minutes into the playoff final, he's fucking nearly halfway line. <laughs> and, I, and Dan said he would, wouldn't, Ingy said he wouldn't change it. But I thought from the previous year, the Stevenage game, I thought the experience of, of us and Foyley and myself and the players uh, would have stood us in good stead for that for that playoff final. But it, it didn't really. We're huffed and puffed second half. We got the goal back just before half time. And so disappointing to to end the season like that when we've beat the best side we've beat Luton so not that we thought we were just going to turn up a win but I, I still think we were a better side than Oxford on the day we weren't no did did the conditions play a part because it was a it was a you know torrential sort of downpour on it just I think before that, that. I think it's the, the same for both sides um, I know we we had a, a party to go to afterwards and that was cancelled after um, we said go on with your families and that was it it was a sour end to a very very good season and, and and jokes aside, was the team lineup a thing? Was that was that something that you think did did have an impact? Yeah, yeah, it happened earlier on in the season as well. Um, and it's then Twitter and that wasn't as sort of recognised as it is now. So I don't know how it's been done, whether it's through you know text or whether it's because Foyley was always one to work on his team. And let's be honest, that season we only had a small squad. There wasn't many changes anyway, but. It's all right, the team being leaked. What else has, has these three players said? I, I don't know what they've said. But it's wrong and it shouldn't happen. There, there was a, a tweet yesterday when I asked people for questions and I think it was Oliver Crabtree said, was there a sliding doors moment in your career that you could have sort of maximised your potential in the in the football league but sort of coin flipped the other way? Was there any sort of... I'm thinking we're kind of moving on towards you going to Crawley but was there any other times that you sort of thought or was that it? Was that the sliding doors moment for you? That, that was it. Well, in that... Before the playoff final, um, I was offered a contract by the football club York. I was offered a new. Co- I was offered two contracts actually. I was offered a contract if we was didn't get promoted, and I was offered a contract if we were promoted. So I was offered two deals um, to stay, which for me, both deals, regardless of what happened, I was going to sign. Uh, then I don't know if you listened to the Colchester story come in, and that was done and dusted. That was literally I was done. Um, and I, I sat and John Ward phoned me up and Martin Fowler said listen I wish you all the best there was 7th in League 1 at the time Colchester and Foyley went I wouldn't send it to someone who had who John Ward's the best manager that could you could go to because he, he'd work with you um, and the deal was agreed all done and dusted I'd agreed my wages and everything ready to go um, and then the Crawley come in for the I think it was 5 bids of the pudding so, so was that all around the same time then? That, that was the same time, same yeah. Time. Yeah, 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 that was the same. And, I, and genuinely, like I said, I, I, I wanted to stay at the football club, but I would have been a fool not to take an offer in League One. They got promoted that, that year. I would have been a fool. And to speak to John Ward, it was brilliant. I was sat in the garden and it was bank holder Monday. 
he said, oh, uh, I said, I'm just having a barbecue with the family. And he said, being a jury, I bet you've got a can of lager in your hand. And I said, I actually have, yeah. And he went, good lad. He said, once we get sorted, come down and sign. And that, that's how done it was. And he finally pulled me in four separate occasions over five weeks of pre-season. Uh, Steve Evans has put another bid in. Don't want to go. And I walked out. That was the end of the four conversations. That's how long they lasted. Speaking of Steve Evans, <laughs> um, I mean, you told a story about how he got caught in a rubber ring, oh, which was pretty okay. funny. What what else can you tell us about Steve Evans? Because he just sounds like a... just Yeah, I don't know how you describe him, really. As much as you can say what you say about him, he was very, very, very clever. Very shrewd when the cameras were there. Very shrewd when the owners were there. Um, I, I'll tell you a couple of quick stories here. Paul Rayner used to come in the dressing room and a gaffin. This is the God's honest truth. We won the we won the conference 107. Some anyway, it was the record points. And during that season, we were a professional football club. Go on, I let you have a guess. How many times did he come on the training ground? No. A little bit more. Six, six times, and that's every time was when the cameras were there. And that's the truth. And Reigns used to take training, and his phone used to ring, and he used to be sat in his office three mile away at the ground, telling Reigns what to do and training. And Reigns used to do it. And you think, are you sure? He's not even here. And we used to do the same hour every single day. But this one day I get to, Reigns used to come in, he went, Broad's gaffer wants you. What now? And I was young at the time and it was the complete opposite to what I'd had from Foyley. I sat down in his office and he had his glasses on with, you know, the bit of string they have on so they don't fall off. And he went, uh, like my glasses, big man. I said, yeah, gaffer, yeah. He said, 600 quid, Armani's. I went, all right, okay. Anyway, his phone rang, right? I remember the old Blackberry phones? His phone rang. He went, answer that. I, I went, but what? He went, answer the phone. He said, it's my wife. He said, fucking answer it. So I, I said, hello. And he went to him, tell her you want to take her for a Chinese. I'm thinking, is he, is he winding me up here? I said, do you want to go for a Chinese? <laughs> He's gone, a favourite lemon chicken. I went, I buy a lemon chicken. Like that. And because you could hear, you know when someone's talking on the phone, but you can, so you could hear what the person was saying. She's gone, who's that? I've never seen him move so quick. He fucking jumped across his desk, grabbed the phone off, off me, and went, who the fuck's that? He said, I've just paid £275,000 for him, and you're asking who it fucking is, and put the phone down. And I'm like, I just, I was absolutely gobsmacked. And that's what you dealt with on a, on a daily basis. You just did not know what he was going to do. I, I was the Chinese male with it, was it? I didn't go with that, but by all accounts, <laughs> by all accounts, it's her with the money as well. And, and, and just going back to uh, something else quickly, we, we just got back from a tour in Portugal, took us to Portugal in February. And we played Wrexham at home on the Saturday. And I, I'd been left out. Dean Saunders was manager of Wrexham. So you're not playing broads? I went, no, no, he should fucking hell. So the, we kicked off. We're 2-0 down at half time. He's coming. Oh, he's gone up. He used to stand and his hand used to curl like that behind him. When, and he used to go as like a tomato shouting at people. And he used to always pick on one person. Anyway, it was Glenn Wilson. I don't know if you remember Glenn. He picked on Wills. Get him off, Rains. He went, get him off. Get Hunty on. Get him off. Like that. So Wills has lost his head, took his kit off threw it on the floor and gone in the shower. So this is right at the start of the 15 minute interval. We'll get to a minute before we're going out. Gaffer's gone to Reigns. Where's Wills? He went, Gaffer, you've just took him off. He went, 
get him ready now. He's going on. He's in the shower with the soap on and everything. He made him put his stuff back on and go back on. And he, we're 2-0 down at the time. And you're thinking, that, that's how he managed, just on impulse like that. But he had money to buy the best players and he bought the league, didn't he? What was that like for you, sort of living away from home? Was there any point you sort of thought, oh, sorry, at what point did you realise that move wasn't going to work out? Was it almost immediately? Was it you were yeah. giving it six? Because I... No. I remember the FA Cup run you were, and I remember listening to it on Five Live and you, I think you came on against Derby and, and I was sort of thinking it's weird that they paid all that money for you and yet you sub for Crawley. What, yeah. At what point did you... Oh, no, it's going. It, uh, it, was you one of, it was one of them where we were that good. I, I, was, I was fortunate enough to be in the 16 every single week and it was I think there were six weeks in a row where I played, didn't play, played, didn't play. And you can't get a rhythm. Because you were that good, there was no arguing with them, there's no talking to them. So... But ironically, it was in my flat. I knew it was wrong after about three weeks. And I just thought, what have I done here? And again, not what have I done. I was, it was something else that forced me to do it. Um, and the, the ironic thing was, I was sat in my flat and Jason phoned me up, Jason McGill, uh, after about a month. And he said, do you want to come back on loan? And I said, I'd love to. He went, right, we'll sort it. Anyway, about an hour later, I got a text message. Funnily enough, Gary Mills, love to sign you, do you want to come back? Love to. And then it was a text, not a phone call or anything, and I never heard anything else after that. But I really struggled being away from home. I struggled with a lot of things. And I know we talked about mental health and things. It's it's a different side of things when you've got you've got time on your hands. And, you know, I, I like to drink more than anyone. Drinks never really affected me. It was more, used to finish, we used to do an hour. We were done for 12 o'clock every single day. And I was living in London, well, Crawley, call it what you want. It's not the nicest place in the world, by the way. Uh, a young lad at 23, and you know, I had to phone my mum up. I said, Mum, what do I do with this washing machine? So she's talking me through it on the phone, and things like that that you just don't realise. I got myself a lovely flat, bought Sky and, 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 and everything, and do you know what? I think I used to sleep in there. That was it. I, I genuinely hated my own company, and I used to go out, and it wasn't going out because I wanted to do the wrong things. It was going out because... I just, I wanted company. I wanted to be around people. Yeah, and I, and I think with mental health as well, I mean, I, you know, sometimes when, I remember Stan Collymore when he came out with depression and people said, oh, how can he have depression when he's on, you know, X amount of money a week? And I imagine for you, you know, you'll have probably had more money, disposable income yeah. than you've ever had in your life, but it's not about that, is it? If, you, if, you've, if you're struggling mentally, yeah, that you're yeah. struggling, it doesn't matter how much yeah. money you've got in the bank. Yeah, and it, it, you know, I, I went, I'm, the same now, I don't, I know people pay cards, I never pay cards, I'm, I'm always cash, and I'll go and draw money out the bank and pay cash, I, I, I'm old school, that's just the way it is, and I remember one night, and the, the Barclays cash machine, and I just, I went to draw £20 out, we were going for a Nando's, and still now, I don't even check my balance, I'm hopeless, I just draw money out, and you know, I drew 20 quid out for a Nando's, and for some reason this day, I'm looking at the Barclays bank, and I, uh, I checked my balance, and uh, there was these, numbers in that I'd never seen before like I thought oh my god what's happened here and I actually phoned the office up Gail who was Steve Evans' secretary that's another story um he was his secretary and I said Gail why is all this money in my bank I said because I said I don't know where it's come from I said I only want an Nando's so I don't want to buy fucking Nando's I want an Nando's in a she said, oh, the, the owners from Hong Kong have obviously sent you money and, and they can send it between the 21st and the 31st. Well, every Joe Blogs that works now, surely everyone has a payday, whether it's the last Friday or the 20th or, you know, uh, anyway, this money, they just sent money over for me. 
well, it was my wages, like, but in the bank. Anyway, I got my pay slip, and on the bottom, it had uh, 11,000 something, 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 something. And that was the tax and national insurance. So I'd obviously got a sign on fee, I'd got a month's wages, and they'd agreed. I don't know if I've told you this actually. They'd agreed to pay the month that York owed me, they paid that as well. So my last month wasn't paid by York, it was paid by them. So, like I said, there was just a phenomenal amount of money in my bank. And what you do as a young lad in the big city, and he. You could take Mrs. Evans out for a Chinese. I mean, that's yeah, done yeah. that. Fleetwood, we'll come on to, come on to that, because I, I heard a, uh, a podcast with Steve McNulty after I'd interviewed yeah. you, and he talked about some naked wrestling that you yeah. guys used to do after training, which I thought was interesting. You didn't mention that on the podcast with us. Yeah, do you we did, yeah. Elaborate. Again, you know. Just to put in the picture of our dressing room at York under Martin Fowle was full of absolute lovely, lovely lads. And I mean, we didn't have a bad one. Well, we had three because they leaked the team, but not them three. Apart from them, we had a really, really good dressing room and, and a great group go for coffees together and this, that and the other. And you go to Crawley to a completely different manager, but to a dressing room of absolute <sighs> characters. We talked about characters. There's no characters in the game anymore. And then... You win the league with a, a group of characters like that at, at Crawley. Then you go to Fleetwood and you win it again with even more characters. And it was it was scary, some of the things. Um, just a quick one on, on, on going back to Crawley. Um, Matty Tubbs, Tubbsy, scored 40 goals. He could do what he wants and he went to the gaffer. Gaffer, I'm, I'm really struggling. He said, I have I have four cans of Cronenberg every night. He went, you've scored 30 goals, son. He said, I have another four. That, you know, so you, that's characters. Then you go to Fleetwood and you've got Jay Maguire, you've got Steve McNulty, you've got Andy Mangan, Gareth Seddon, Sean Clancy, all these big, big characters and scousers. And I remember Mickey said to me once, Mickey Mellon said, if you can't beat them, join them. But I genuinely didn't want to join them. Maybe I should. Maybe that was a mistake that I made because I should have got in with them, but I, I didn't want to be. And we had this... <laughs> We had this coach, Martin, who was a, like an ex-army. And pre-season was, you can imagine, ex-army pre-season was hard. Anyway, we had this gym and uh, we had a wrestling belt. Got the boxing gloves on and it was me and Jay Maguire. And Jay's hard as well, by the way. Jay's hard. I'm not hard, Jay's. And we're, we're wrestling and all oiled up and they're going uh, in the blue corner. And then, but we're meant to be doing a cool down. We had a game on the Sunday. We're meant to be doing a cool down. And uh, next thing, because you, you're hitting and they're, they're slipping off with the oil and then Mickey come in. What the... F- we're meant to be doing... And, and so anyway, that ended up being carried on and I ended up winning the belt every week because apparently I were, apparently it was a laugh because of how well good or, or not good I was, should we say. But I got it every week and it carried on for weeks and weeks and weeks again. Won the league with, with teams like that. Scary. I thought we'd sort of come, come towards the end here of your second spell at York City. I mean, people dismiss it as oh he wasn't he wasn't the same in his second spell. But you know, we, we look back at some of those goals there. You know, Curzon Ashton away, probably arguably your best goal you've ever scored for York City. And the Forest Green one that I was at as well away was a great volley. And I think you said Jason McGill said that was yeah, his favourite goal you'd ever scored for York City. What what was it like in that second spell? And I mean pre Gary Mills what what was it because obviously York City fans have got their own opinions about Jackie McNamara but what what was your experience like of being in mine, that environment mine was mine was brilliant from the phone call off Jackie and Jason um, I'd just gone part time at Stockport uh, with Jim Gannon and my partner was pregnant with my son so I would come back to Stockport and I, I got a job working at Southport College um, 
working towards coaching and teaching. And when Jason and uh, Jackie phoned me, they were in the car on the way to Grimsby to watch a play. I said, I'll be down tomorrow. Uh, I said, anyway, they phoned me the next day with some weight, with an offer of a contract. So, and within two, three days, it, it was done. And again, I felt like I was coming home and I felt like pulling that shirt on was just a feeling that I can't explain it to you, but it's a different feeling to pulling any other shirt on. And believe you me, I've pulled a few on over my career. But Jackie, I know you've probably got your opinions on Jackie. Jackie was great with me and I wasn't ready to play. I'd come out of part-time football. I put weight on, got myself fit. Unfortunately, got my son had just been born, so I hadn't really had a lot of time asleep over a couple of weeks. And I got launched into that game at Gated where we got beat 6-1. Uh, scored the penalty and then went to Forest Green the side. I ended up actually scoring five and five. And I was going to Torquay away. And if I'd scored, I would have broke a club record of consecutive goals. I think it was six goals in six games consecutively. So they can dismiss the second spell. Um, but was, I'm not sounding bitter. There's only one person that stopped that second spell. But I really, really wish that hadn't happened. And I spoke to you about it the other day. If I'd a if I'd have maybe hung on and maybe not let him bully me like he did, the next manager, Steve Watson, who had took me to Macclesfield on loan, who Geordie got on with him, he'd signed me before at uh, Macclesfield, and I said to when he took me to Macclesfield from Gary Mills, uh, Steve Watson pulled me in with John Askey. He was John Askey's assistant, obviously, and John wasn't a talker, and, and Watto said to me, you know what, Broads, he said, when I signed you, people had said, you're just a handful, you run around and you score a goal. He said, I've watched every day in training and five aside. He said, you're a lot a lot better footballer than people give you credit for. And you score goals every day. And let me tell you, if Alan Shearer hadn't have scored five goals in training, he was absolutely livid. And I thought, you know what? And I, that still sticks. It's little things that people say to you stick with you. And, and that was your manager now. Um, so if I'd stuck around, who knows? Was, was that journeyman sort of label sort of hard to shake off once you yeah. start having a few clubs do people start looking at you differently and think oh he's a he's a short-term fix rather than a long-term yeah. fix yeah but i i think you've i think you've got it again I, people sign you and i i've made no sort of secrets about me wanting to, to to go on to coach and to manage and i think we talked about it before it's all right saying we're going to sign a good player we're going to sign him because he scored 30 goals you have to find a bit bit about that player you have to find a bit about his character, his home life. You know, I, I genuinely think that's important in when you're signing players. And at the time, it was just, I'd went for a lot of money and I was always, go- always going to get moves on the back of that. And I've said this before, and I mean this from the from the bottom of my heart. If I hadn't left to go to Crawley and I've had 25 clubs or whatever since, I honestly think I'd still be, I'd, I've only had one club and it would have been this club. I honestly think that. And just, just to sort of finally to finish off from me before we have the interval, if the 34-year-old Richard Brody could talk to the one setting out on his career, what what would you tell him? I, I do it now. I, I, I help the lads. I've been at Skemmersdale. I've been, I'm a player and a first-team coach, but I've been helping out with the academy. And it's the best buzz you can ever have. Um, young lads come, coming up to us and, and asking me questions. And, and I always said, I said it to Dan, I said it to everyone, the best thing you can be as a manager or coach is approachable. And the biggest compliment I can... To give myself is that lads come and ask me things. I've got a, a lad and his dad phoned me up. He's been on loan with us. He's just got a two-year contract. I've filed. Thanks, Broads, for everything you've done. I said I haven't done anything. He said you've welcomed my, you welcomed me and, and me and my son into man's football and, and showed them what it's like to be a man. And they come into the dressing room. These young lads and you, you, 
you speak to them because there's nothing worse. You're intimidated walking into a dressing room as a young player with all these... Exp- I walked into a dressing room with Clayton Donaldson, with uh, Luke Foster, uh, Tom Evans, all these players, and do, do any of them really care about you? Probably not. They'll probably say hello or they'll just look at you and think, who's he? Sort of thing. So a lot of young players now, it's all Twitter and social media. And I said it... Um, what was it? Kane Felix was another one. And it's all right saying... I'm a footballer. I'm walking around with a BMW and a Louis Vuitton wash bag and a pair of new trainers. If you want to be a footballer, great. But do your job on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. Whatever happens in the week is all right. You work hard and train, and you. Do. But do your job on a Saturday, and no one will begrudge you going out and having a drink, going out and having something to eat. But just do your job, and and again, listen. I didn't listen. I used to think he's talking shit, or what's why is he having a go at me now? But I look back and I think. Why, why didn't I listen? He was right, and, and that's what I'm trying to help players now, and I'm getting a really, really massive buzz out of doing it, and you know, I, I'm only just starting out COVID to put a bit of a, a stop to it, but we'll see what the future holds, but you know, if I can help any young person that doesn't make the same mistakes what I did, then, then that's all that matters. I can put my head on the pillow at night. Richard, it's been fascinating again to, to hear your, your kind of stories and, and kind of your journey in football. We'll have a little break now, give you a chance to uh, finish your pint. But uh, if you could put your hands together for Richard, that's been fantastic. Thank you, you, Richard. Thank you.